So as we get started this morning, I have to come to you in a mission. We're in our... Um, we're in the middle of our series of slow, and the point of slow was for us to be able to look at the church and see what does it look like when we as God's people, instead of trying to move through life rapidly, just slow down and try to find a rhythm in the way of God. And it's interesting because in my personal life, I have not had a slow existence the past few weeks. I've been uh, in airports far more than I care to be um, over the last, you know, in this past month, I was in Seattle I was in Boston, Uh, I was in Orlando this last week, and then I'm heading out for Dallas again. It's just this craziness, and it was in the midst of that. I try to stay connected with family, and in a conversation with Kelly, she just randomly brought up, she's like, hey, did you remember that you were preaching on Sunday? (laughs) I was like, no, I did not at all. Like, I just had no memory. And by the way, that's always a great way to start a sermon, because you're like, okay, if he's just started on this thing Thursday, but friends, I'm a trained professional, so, you know, don't try this at home. Trust me, like, I can fill 30 minutes like nobody else's business, even 40, 45 for that matter, but uh, that's, that's still lacking here. It's, and the most interesting thing, so I'm moving so fast, and yet we're talking about the series on slow, and I hit the point of almost like a little exhaustion, which is, again, first world problems, I'm crying, but then the topic assigned to me, I had to ask Kelly Thursday, like, what am I supposed to preach on? And she goes, Sabbath, and I was like, well, I ain't that keen. That's great times. So I was thinking about that in my personal life, but then one of the cool experiences that wasn't necessarily an experience of rest, but something that I had uh, recently is I was one of the, 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 what do I want to say, the blessed chosen to have seen Hamilton uh, as it's been in Cincinnati. And uh, I know maybe some of you have too, and if not, you're just like, oh, look, look, look at Mr. Fancy Pants up there. Um, but if anything, maybe Jesus did that so that I could use this as a sermon illustration. Perhaps. Because I don't know if you're into the musical. I've listened to the, you know, listened to the soundtrack for years. This is the first time I've had the chance to see it. And, you know, you just are chewing on it for a while because you have all these songs in your head. And one of the things I thought to me, I was just like, why is this thing so popular? I mean, as much as I love hip hop, you know, and like, wow, isn't this creative artistry? And as much as I'm a history geek, you, you try to say, okay, what are some of the things? And I think the subject matter is important because the way that Lin-Manuel Miranda told the story was one one that paralleled how many of us Americans view ourselves because he said the plight of the immigrant is that of having to work and hustle to achieve something greater and that they are the foundation upon which this country is built. Maybe you're familiar with the the terminology of the Protestant work ethic which comes into this. It's just like, look, I am called by God to do something good and on that path, I am going to achieve that through my hard work, my determination, my grit. So if you look at the entirety of the musical, and so many of the songs talk about it, where he talks about continually not throwing away his shot, you know, and then he uh, gets to the point to where it's like he's writing at such a dramatic pace that he's just, you know, it's as if it, it will not end. And then really where he gets into trouble is when, you know, he's supposed to go and take a break and yet he does it in his life. And that's where he gets into this affair. And I, part of me is like spoiler alert here, but I'm like, dude, it's history. Like I'm not spoiling history. So read a book. 
By the way, the, the biography is very good upon which it's based. But I say that is that I think that's one of the reasons why that story has resonated so far. Because many of us Americans, are, are perhaps greatest cultural identifier is that as us, as workers. And Chris touched a little bit on that last week. How do we define ourselves in the midst of slow when we're trying to figure out what it means to work? And I feel like it's exacerbated today because we're living in this age where technology is supposed to decrease like the amount of work that we're doing, but the reality is it's giving us a connectedness that is actually increasing that, right? So it's like, hey, I was supposed to be this person. Like, you know, I love that Chris brought up this, uh, I think it was Chris last week, that talked about the idea of being a stay-at-home mom as if, like, you know, that's like some separate subcategory. I was like, man, that was just so apt because it's like we say, no, there's not this. But nobody is just any one thing anymore, right? Like, we juggle so many different things in our lives, and you're like, okay, I have my work compartment, and maybe I'm going back to school, or maybe I'm at school trying to achieve this, and then I have my personal life and you're like, holy crap, it's March and taxes are due next month. And you have all these different compartments that continues more and more because there's more expected of us. So it's like, look, you have the technological advances, you need to do more. And I always think of just the illustration of plate spinning. And, and, you know, I don't know if you've seen like the vaudevillian act of that, where, you know, it's just the thing. It's like, look, how many plates can I keep spinning on a pole at the same time without them falling? And I think that's the way in which many of us view our entire existence. Because right now, some of you are looking at your clock and you're like, man, if Steve just hurries up, then I can get to lunch and then I can get that thing done that I need to do after this, which is really important. So I will tell you why preaching on this is, you know, even with Thursday preparation is no stretch because it is always, what do I want to say? It's always illuminating when you have to stand in front of people and reveal your own sinfulness. And I will tell you is that this is the sinfulness of my life that still exists, is the idea that I view myself as some massive machine that can get so much done and I don't Sabbath. And maybe that's you too. So before we start a support group, let's look at the scriptures because this is what's important. God cares about your busyness. God cares about your rest. So one last thing before I really get into this, we're gonna get into the Bible into Exodus chapter 20, the 10 commandments, because that's, you know, where we get this idea of Sabbath. is It's articulated there for the first time. But before we do that, um, I gotta admit something else. Now I've made my sin. Maybe I'll admit my embarrassment is that as I've been running more and more, I'm getting older. <laughs> and the combination of the two, it's like, okay, I'm healthier, but I find myself just being sore more and more often after doing strenuous work. It's, it's aging, it's the worst. So I've been trying to mitigate that through yoga and, um, and by the way, this isn't like Eastern-based yoga per se. Actually, I am enrolled in DDP yoga, which is Diamond Dallas Page, which is a wrestler, which is like quasi-fake yoga because he does like, it's really stretching that he calls yoga. And it's this wrestler barking out at you and what you should do. And you're like, it's not very zen. It's not very peaceful. But what's funny is at the end during the cool down period, the thing that he always talks about is like, okay, now's your deep breath time. And you've got to take some deep breaths. And what's funny is that in the midst of this stretching, and yoga, that has been the thing for me thinking about more so. He's like, how many times, and it's, I, I said, I'm being more pastoral, he's like, how many times do you really take deep breaths anymore? So, and you're like, yeah, I don't. 
I don't deep breathe at all. And I feel something like that. It's like when you do, there's a reset because you're thinking about just your humanity, right? Like, you know, this whole time I've been talking, you've been breathing and you've not thought about it at all. But when we stop to think about it, I think it just rewires us. And I would say that it's probably a good thing before we start and rest just to take some deep breaths. So this is what I want you to do. And this is, again, this is not like Eastern philosophy. I'm not trying to say there's, there's Zen or Tao or anything associated with this. I'm just like, let's reset really quickly. So, you know, just sit up a little straight, you know, because we're slouching his pews. It's tough. And just close your eyes for a minute and don't peek that people are doing this. You know, it's okay. Like nobody's going to steal your purse. We're fine. And just take three deep breaths. So you're going to breathe in and breathe out deep. Take a second, deep breath. Just breathe in. Breathe out deep. Just one more, okay? Come in on this rest right here. Just rest, that that deep breath. In the law, Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, and Lord delayed here, your male or female servant, your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested On the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I don't know about you, but whenever I read the Ten Commandments, I was always like, this is the one that is no longer applicable. Because we understand, as we read through the rest of the Old Testament, there is a lot written about this this Sabbath. Taking the seventh day of the week and Sabbath, the Hebrew word Shabbat, can be rest, but also can be translated as ceasing. So, you know... This is observed by Jews even to this day as sundown on Friday night to sun up the next day. They cease and do work. When I was uh, ministering up in Mason, I was just up there yesterday for an event. There's a Jewish retirement village. And it's not just for, for Jewish folk because sometimes they put people in there for rehabilitation. And I remember walking in on a Saturday. The elevator's open. I hit the button and nothing happens. And I hit it again and again. And the light is not lighting up. And there's a placard right over the bu- button saying this elevator is not operational on the Sabbath (laughs) and then I was like well great so now I've got to take stairs which is more flipping work thanks for helping me out here but understand is that in the the Judaic understanding of Sabbath which is spelled out in the Old Testament there are specific provisions and over the generations the rabbis like argued over exactly what could happen. When we were in Israel back in 2005, you know, we had been all over the country eating food, but then you were just like, you know what, there's a McDonald's in the airport. At least I'm going to have something. You get up and then you see the sign and you're like, you know, the, we only serve you like cold food on the Sabbath. And you're like, I can't even get my Big Mac on the Sabbath going. There's all these rules and regulation that they apply to it. So you're like, hey, praise Jesus, he's come. I don't have to celebrate this, this holiday anymore but look closely though at what is happening here in this text is that the thing that we are told to do is to remember the sabbath 
And the memory of that is formed at the very beginning of creation in Genesis chapter 2, where we read about the creation narrative. Six days, God's busy. He's making every way. But by the seventh day, God finished the work he'd been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from it and he blessed it and made it holy. So God at this point was saying, look, the Sabbath becomes holy. And we're given an extrapolation of what it really means, what's behind this in Ezekiel chapter 20, where the Lord says, I gave my people degrees and made known to them my laws by which every person who obeys them will live. And I gave them my Sabbaths. So notice this, he gave the law, but he gave Shabbat rest. He gave ceasing so that they would know that I made them holy. I'm the Lord your God, keep my Sabbath holy that they may be a sign between us and then you will know that I'm the Lord your God. So this is what is interesting about this law. Uh, There was no identifier greater in all of scripture for God's people than the Sabbath. Because they were the only people in the ancient world that actually observed it. So anybody who saw God's people on a Shabbat would be like, hey, you know, what are they doing? Or literally, what are they not doing? Because while everybody else is going around their business, they ceased and they stopped. That was a big deal here. So it's interesting that we see that in the Old Testament and then we also see the stories of Jesus in the New Testament where Jesus is going around and he's like, zip, 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 healing people on the Sabbath. And then we're like, there we go. That's Jesus' nature. No more of the Sabbath nonsense, right? Like we can get on with our lives, but as much as that exists, we have to look to the scripture and ask ourselves what is happening here. And this is the thing I love about the fourth commandment is that in Sabbath, we were told most importantly, to remember it. Now, for those of us who enjoy legalese, maybe we could get around the situation. It's just like, look, I don't have to observe the Sabbath. I just have to remember it. And that's not what the scriptures are trying to do here. What they're trying to pull out is this, is that in our rest, we reflect. We are able to look back. And that's a big thing about being a person of God, is pausing, is ceasing, so that we can remember what happened. It's one of the reasons why the scriptures are so valuable to us. Think about how many narratives are in the scripture that we read about what happened. God's people were called, remember the Sabbath. It's the same thing that we ought to do now. It's to reflect and see what has happened so that we can figure out where we are going in the future. When I look about this, three things. Three things that I believe that we God's people are supposed to remember in our celebration of rest, Shabbat of ceasing. And the first of those is that the Sabbath helps us to remember to trust God. Because remember what we said is that God's people on Sabbath would cease, would not work. And the reason that everybody around them would pay attention is because they knew what happened in the ancient world, which is there were no refrigerators There was no complexity of savings, of storing, because many times when you tried to store long-term, things would, would not last and persist. And therefore, most people in the ancient world were 48 hours away from extinction. So they had to work every single day for survival. So this was the most threatening command that God made for them because he said, look, 
I worked six days and stopped. You shall do it too. And in doing so, they put their lives in God's hand to say, okay, if I don't work this day, how am I going to eat the following day? What is going to be there for me? So Shabbat was taking their own lives into their hands through the celebration of who they were. In Isaiah chapter 58, God says, obey my Sabbath and it will go well with you. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride and triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, David. That second part of the verse, I want it on the second slide because if you just take this out here, this is like for your like Bible vision board where you're in inspired by what the word of the Lord is saying, you're like, yes, that is God's best life for me, where I am triumphing on the heights of the land. I'm feasting on the inheritance. And how do I achieve that? By doing absolutely nothing. By ceasing. By stopping. That is not the narrative that many of us have about God's work in our lives. True? that I'm supposed to achieve this through the glorious might of the power of God. And he's like, great, stop, don't, do nothing. So when God calls us to rest, our response in doing so is actually a, a, a piece of worship. It is praise of trust in what God is doing all over creation. This is implied here but I think it's incredibly important that Sabbath helps us to remember that rest is natural some of us and again I work with people all the time who are like they're you know they're high level performers and they're like you know there's this conversation of braggadociousness it's like why well, get by in four hours of sleep at night and somebody's like why well, get out by at three hours 52 minutes a night you know, and I have my now, and I don't know if you guys use your Apple bedtime app to do this now. Like there's this thing to where you can chart your actual sleep time and, you know, you can even figure out like what's the least I can go through. And as much as we like to say, you know, hey, you know, my work is important. We need to understand is that the more that we go on in life, resting is part of our natural rhythm. It's part of the natural rhythm of the universe, which is why when you go back to Exodus chapter 20 and look at the list of commands, this is what I appreciate. And by the way, when you look in Exodus 20 at all the commands, the, you know, I guess, you know, it depends, my print is even, but, you know, the idea of idolatry is the only exp explanation that is as thorough as the Sabbath. So God is like spelling out the Sabbath and he even includes, hey, by the way, you won't work or your son or daughter, or your male and female servants. Like, there's a list there. It's like, nobody is exempt from Sabbath, right? Like, everybody opts in. Why? Because they need rest. This is the thing I love there. Son, daughter, servants, or your animals, right? Like, some of them are hedging their bets. They're like, okay, I'm not gonna work, but I have oxen, and I can just, like, hook up this and watch them walk back and forth. And God says, no, even your animals are supposed to rest. And some of you are like, man, I give my dog sedatives because that dude needs to calm down and rest sometimes. It's not this idea. It's the idea that everything in creation needs rest. 
Like we got this bunny running around our house right now and I wasn't a big house animal person, but I'll work and the bunny will just stay nearby because the bunny's hoping that I'll walk to the refrigerator and get some vegetables or something. But this bunny, it's funny, is that it sits there and it, for hours on day and then every once in a while it's like eyes gets drowsy and then you're like, that rabbit's sleeping. And I'm just like, lazy ass rabbit, right? Like, what's it, do something rabbit. But the thing is, is that it is in its DNA, right? That this animal needs rest. As humans, it's in our DNA that we need rest. So instead of us being braggadocious to try to be like, I can get by on no sleep at night, we have to understand is that it's something that we need. We need to stop, we need to rest. There's this guy named Randy Gardner, and I think it's Gardner. Yeah, 1964. You know, he, he had at the time what was the record for sleep deprivation, which was like at 11 and a half days. And then it was funny is that people started breaking this and Guinness was like, dude, we don't want this blood on our hands. So they've actually removed it from the Guinness Book of World Records. But the interesting thing about Randy Gardner, and by the way, I had, you know, I found this picture and it's like, you can see him being like force fed, which is funny because I think it looks like a Twinkie. I think the key to sleep deprivation is are Twinkies. But what they did is they scientifically studied it because, you know, there are the rumors. It's like, if you stay up past 72 hours, then you'll die. And, you know, by the way, the, the kid was 17, which begs a whole lot of things. Like somebody was like, you know, let's put a 17-year-old through this thing. And if he dies, I guess he's expendable. But they actually did scientific studies. After it was over, he basically had like three, like, nights and days of long sleep and then it was like he was fine but I was like dude you're 17 like you can do this and then go to Taco Bell and run through the menu and be fine the next day like I'm not impressed but the reality is friends is that you know they even saw the longer he went without sleep the the less productive he could actually be like you know they were asking him math problems and again he's 17 how old was he doing that I have no idea but he was like getting them wrong and he was slurring his speech and all this stuff and, you know, you just get to the point where it's like, look, we were designed not to work continually. We need to rest. It's natural. So why fight it? Okay? We're called to every once in a while pause and not do. I think this is the most compelling reason for me, though, is that Sabbath helps us remember the gravity of God's word. And I think that's something that we don't remember a lot. Because... There's so many arguments that we can make toward not resting that we neglect the thing. It's just like, listen, the scriptures tell us to. What is my problem? Why don't I believe the word of God? I want to, it's, it's going forward a couple chapters in the book of Exodus, but it's this thing. I don't want to go the whole story, but basically, you know, Moses comes down, breaks some tablets. He has to go back up, do this deal. You know it, right? There's this interesting verse in Exodus chapter 24 that talks about Moses' experience with God on the mountain. And by the way, I kind of gloss with that story. I mean, do we remember that story from the Bible, right? Like Moses comes down, there's angry people, or not angry, sinful people, you know, like doing all sorts of icky things. And then Moses is like, oh, you think you're bad? Bam, breaks some tablets, goes back up. And this is what God says, right? The Lord says to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. I'll give you the tablets of stone and the law and the commandments that I've written for their instruction. Just really random verse. 
But I want to do some like low-level Hebrew within this because I think it's very interesting. The two words highlighted, the word for the Lord and the word for stay here. We understand there's different names for the Lord in the Bible. The, the most significant one is Yahweh, which is very interesting because as much as we say it's Yahweh, we don't know if it's Yahweh because there were no pronunciation aspects to this word ever. The rabbis were so interested in the name of the Lord that they kept it holy. I was at a um, at a university where there were Orthodox Jews studying and the professor wrote in marker on the board the Hebrew word for Yahweh and after class, one of the Jewish conservative students came up, came up and was like, you know you can never erase that ever now because you wrote the name of God and it's that holy. And the professor's like, well, I can't keep the janitor from doing it so I don't know what's gonna happen. I was like, that's compelling. But the thing about this name is, is it's quite cosmic. And, and I did the breathing before because there's this idea that Yahweh is all Hebrew vowels. So it's really an unpronounceable name in Hebrew. It's really what you would do, you know, it's like placeholders where you might even be able to, you know, breathe this out. And that's why some people say it's like, you know what, God is breath. One of the more compelling arguments of this <coughs> is the word for stay here, which straight up, it's not perfect pronunciation, but the Hebrew word hayah, and it's not really hayah, but it's got to be for this, because I'm preaching. The Hebrew word hayah, which means to exist or to be. So remember what God said, Yahweh, Lord, says, hey, come up here and hayah. He doesn't want him, it's like, hey, Moses, get back to work, lazy. No, he's like, hey, come up here and exist. Come up here and be. And there's a reason that the people believe that there's a cosmic interaction. And I know this is like, you know, this is sounding more, you know, what do I want to say? Spiritual, maybe. But it's just one of those unexplainable aspects of the Bible. Is It's interesting to see the interaction between Hayah and Yahweh. Because in Exodus chapter 3, Moses walks towards this bush that is burning, but it's not really. It's on fire. And then beyond this lack of apparent, you know, charred tree... The tree starts talking at him, and he realizes this ain't no ordinary tree. This happens to be God. And what Moses wants to know from the tree is like, hey, what's your name? And we're always just like, because that's what I ask people all the way. Like, you know, I'm Steve, what's your name? No, 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 no. <clears throat> In the ancient world, having possession of somebody's name meant power, especially as it had to deal with deity. So if you knew the name of the deity, you were able to somehow take control of the name of the deity. So as much as people are like, no, Moses is just like, hey, God, what's your name? No, it was kind of like, hey, I would love to tap into that power, right? Like, give me access here. It's very interesting. You know what God says his name is? He says, I am who I am. A double use of the word, of the root word, hayah. So when Moses is like, hey, God, what's your name? He's like, hayah, I'm hayah which really is not a name. It's not even an action verb. God's like, I be who I be. God's like, you just tell people, I exist. I exist. And the cosmic interaction, I believe, of that is who we are human beings. Made in the image of God is an existence our proof of God lives inside of us just merely because we exist, because we are. 
God hayas, we haya, and that's who we are. Now, interesting right here, I would say, is that if I'm trying to figure out then who he is and then who I am, how often do I look in the mirror and say, Steve, you are who you are because of what you produce? What's the first question after you meet somebody that you generally ask them? Hi, what's your name? What do you do for a living? Right? Why do we ask that? Well, maybe there's a few things. Like, number one, I want to size you up from an economic level. Like, if you say something at this strata, I'm like, oh, okay, better, like, zip my zipper up or something. Like, you know, there's, there's some reaction that postures all of that. I think the reason that we generally ask is we, we ascribe value to somebody because of what they do. And as much as we do that for other people, I believe we do that for ourselves. When God ascribes value to you, not by what you produce, but just by existing. So what is the obstacle of us just being? What is the obstacle of us of finding contentment in who God has made us? I I think one of the key obstacles today is our divided attention. I think if we had just singular things that we were called to do, then we could find the space to be. But the problem is now for us, even growing in a digitally connected world, is that you're never off. You're never off. Guys, just like many of you, some of you patriots out there have quit Facebook. God bless you. Fight the battle for all of us. I can't do that because it's a primary tool that I use for my work. So even when I'm like, oh, I'm interested in what some of you people are doing, I'm always exposed to, oh, here's a work opportunity. I, you just never shut it off. So our response tends to be, well, let me just shut the system down and then the chaos shall end. And again, for those of you patriots who have gone there, I, I, I appreciate the sacrifice you've made so that I don't have to see any more of your inane lifestyle. However, if you think that stops your productivity abuse, it's not going to stop because we are prone to do it. We want to keep producing. We don't want to rest. And the irony of ironies is, is that's not what God's calling us to do. Can I get, where I see the point of all this being is this. Sabbath helps us remember that we are neither God nor machine. Okay? You are not God and you're not a machine. You're working so hard on those Excel spreadsheets You love mailing them around to your colleagues. And they might raise an eyebrow briefly, but in two weeks, nobody gives a flip, right? And you know what? Can you imagine, like, CCing God to your email? Like, hey, God, I maneuvered the crap out of this spreadsheet, color-coded and everything. God's like, you know, God's like, that's nice. Like, see that mountain over there? (laughs) He's like, that was a random Tuesday for, like, a split second. Nothing. No matter how productive you are, you're not going to be as productive as God. You're not God. And here's the blessing of that. Neither are you a machine. What's a machine? It's something that we construct to be productive, right? Like, you know, again, our phones are incredibly articulate. They're machines. They're wonderful, okay? That's That's why we get our special cases. That's why we add the little doodads to make sure they can lean or you can hold it. I don't even know what those little sticky things are. But we have this thing, but that is a machine. It is made to 
have outcomes. That's not who you are. You are more than machinery. You're made in the image of God. And this is the beauty about understanding this God-machine dichotomy is this. You don't have to be God, but God still wants you to be like him in this way. God doesn't say, produce like I produce. God says, rest like I rested. This is why, again, I don't even know. That's why I don't bring my clock up here. That's the problem when I have two days to prepare. Oh, man, it's just in my back pocket, y'all. I I'm, I'm swear I'm wrapping this up, but just stick with me for this. It's just one of the things that <clears throat> is key to me is that we get into arguments about the literal creation of the world. Like there are people who are like, you can't be a Christian if you don't believe that God created the world in certain 24-hour periods, right? Because the Bible said he made it and that's it. Guys, the Bible said he created things in days, but it's not like God's like, oh man, I better hurry up because this day's coming to the close and that ocean is not where it needs to be. It's not like God was operating on this thing to where it's like, I need six days because there's so much work. Like the, the rings on Saturn were just an oversight. Like he was like, I was gonna do that on day five, but then I was figured like humans need belly buttons. So I just left that out there and I focused on what was important, right? No, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? I don't believe so, but that's another story. Okay, my theology is all messed up, but here's the thing looking back on it. I, we don't know, and we as a church, we don't take a possession on 24 hours because God could have made everything in a split second if he is all powerful, Right? I will tell you that I believe the 24-hour description of Genesis 1, 2, and further has more to do about day 7 than anything happened between day 1 and 6. Are you tracking with me? So again, I'm not saying that it did or didn't happen. We'll talk to God about it one day. But I think that that is missing the forest for the trees. Day 1 through 6, God made, he created, that's great. Day 7, he breaked. It's not like God was like, oh man, I got that deadline done. I got that deadline done and now I'm gonna Netflix, you know, like just binge something, right? Like what is Blackbird about or Black Box? What is it about? I don't even know. Okay. It's not like God needed Saturday. He didn't need the rest. He did that for you. He did that for you. You're the most important part about the creation, even though it happened on day six. He's not even thinking about day six, it's day seven. He wants you to pause. Why? Because you're not him. You're not a machine. He made you. So just rest. Just rest. So how do you rest? Man, guys, I was burning through it. I'm just gonna admit, and this is why I'm handheld mic today because my voice is about gone through. I'm just on one of these stretches that I'm pushing through. And last night I, I worked, I woke up at six. I had to do an event. I got back at five and I'm, I do marathon training. And one of the things I like to do is I like to run every day. Like I get a run in every day. So I'm like, look, the treadmill's in the basement. I should go down and run. And I was just like, you know, I'm thinking about this and I'm like, ah, screw it. I'm just not gonna run. And right now, even talking about it, it's therapeutic because I know in my check boxes of what I do every day, there's gonna be a blank right there in yesterday. But you know what I knew? I was like, look, I need it. I just need to stop. Every once in a while, you have to know yourself. You just have to figure out what does it mean to stop? We're entering into this season. Actually, we started this last week. Ash Wednesday was the beginning of the season of Lent. And again, we're Protestants. So we don't necessarily always celebrate Lent, but what is Lent? Lent is really a slowing down so that we can be introspective about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why people give up stuff because it's trying to shake the norm and be you know, in that point. Maybe this is what God's calling you to rest is maybe even practice a little Lent. You know, give up something, 
just to cease because you can be who you are even if you stop. Like what you create is not who you are. Who you are is who created. You're a reflection of the creator God. It's who he wants you to be. The Sabbath helps us to remember the rest that is to come. And this, friends, is my deliberately confusing sentence for you, and I left it to the very end. Because if you think about that, we talked about what is the goal of the Sabbath? It's to remember. What do we remember? We don't remember the future. We remember the past. But I would say that this is the cosmic effect of what the Sabbath is, because rest of God is hardwired into our, our, our whole being. What is all this about? Why do we rest? Because rest is an acknowledgement that we're not God, that we're not a machine, that we sit under his umbrella and in that posture, we believe and trust him to carry us on to eternal rest. That at some point, friends, and this is again, maybe we take too much solace in this in life, God is the God of today, but he's also the God of eternity, is that at some point, you know, the future is that work won't be laborious. Because people are like, hey, when I get to heaven, I won't work. I I don't know if that's the case, friends. Because to be honest with you, I enjoy producing. If heaven's a joyful place, it's there. But what we see, what happened in Eden, is that the curse of work was was burdensome. Burden, burden, you know, it was burdensome. It's just hard. I think God removes that. And I think at some point, we won't need that rest because we will dwell and live in it in eternity. That is the hope of glory. That is the message of the gospel because that is what Jesus does. Jesus says, come to me. You, come to me. If you're weary, if you're burdened, I'll give you rest. It says, take my yoke upon you. It's interesting in the first century, yoke had this double entendre. Is at first I'd always meant, you know, a literal yoke like what you would put on animals to make them do work. But also, a a rabbi's yoke was their teachings and the way that they approved life. So what Jesus is doing in there is like, hey, take my teachings upon you. Take my yoke because you'll learn from me. Because who is Jesus? He's humble and gentle in heart. And what will we find? We find rest. Rest for our souls. Jesus saves us today and he saves us forever. And as much as we want to always, you know, we are spiritual beings, we focus on that last part. Do me a favor this week. Focus on your rest today. If you need to pause, hit pause. If you're suffering from extreme guilt from doing so, get over yourself. You're beautiful people, you're wonderful, but God didn't make you to make. He made you to be. Sit up a little bit for me and close your eyes. Let's just rest. Will you you breathe in three times for me? A deep breath. An exhale. A deep breath. And we exhale. One more deep breath. (laughs) 
Lord, when we have tried to save ourselves through what we create, we ask for forgiveness. When we sin in a way that we think somehow we can achieve things that you have no desire for us to achieve, just correct us. Father, when we think that we are creating our own salvation in some way, honoring you through just what brilliance that we have done, maybe constructing a, 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 a wonderful family or building together a great CV or even mastering our spiritual existence, Father, will you humble us, slow us down, help us to cease, let it be enough for us to be. Father, we seek and we worship in the opportunity for rest in you. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.